Hello there, everybody. How you doing? Are you having a good week? I hope you're having a good week. Today I'm going to continue with the Snowflake 33 discussion on fame, as I promised you in the last episode. And uh, before I do that, I have one thing I want to say before I continue with the story. And uh, it was something that I forgot to put into the last episode. You know, I mentioned to you the whole flyer thing when I worked at that print shop, right? Well, here's an interesting story that I forgot to tell you. Um, One time, uh, when we had a show coming up in Thumper Incorporated, you know, usually I made the flyers. So our bass player came up to me and he said, Hey, I have this artist who's willing to do some flyer art for us. You know, would you mind if she did a flyer? And I was like, I don't mind at all. That's totally cool. So he submitted these two flyer ideas to me that this artist had drawn. And they were like masterpieces. I mean, they were really well drawn pieces of art. And the artist's name was Kim Say. Okay, Kim Say. She was a friend of my bass player's. And they were from the same city. And so, you know, he brought her to meet me. And uh, she gave us these two pieces of flyer art. And one of them wound up becoming a t-shirt for Thumper Incorporated. And the image was so popular. uh, I mean, it kind of took on a life of its own. Okay. Now, the reason that I'm bringing it up and the reason that it's interesting um, is that Kim Say wound up becoming a celebrity on like the entertainment network or something like that. She is a tattoo artist in Los Angeles now, and I'm not quite sure exactly the show, the name of the show that she's on, but it's like LA Inc. or something like that. Okay. And she's like a famous tattoo artist now, which I was unaware of up until maybe about a year ago. Like I had no idea that she had gone on to become famous. So I just wanted to mention that really quick because I thought it was really cool. Okay, that's all I wanted to say about that. So I left off in the last episode talking to you about when Slow Bob had gone into the studio at Mars Recording Studio and we had recorded and um, I had been given the offer to drum for Integrity thanks to the engineer at that studio dropping my name to the band Integrity. Um, And I turned it down, but it still changed a lot of the social dynamic in the band Slow Bob, just because I had considered taking the offer. Now, up until this point, I've done a lot of talking about the guitar player singer. And in all fairness, you know, I had two very good relationships with both of the guys in the band and I don't think that it's fair for me to only talk about the impact that the guitar player singer had you know there was the bass player singer as well and him and I actually wound up becoming I think better friends than I was with the guitar player like outside of the band we actually became really good friends. And, and part of the reason that was the case 
was because when the band first got together, he agreed to come pick me up for practice and, you know, get me there so the whole thing could get started. But it was also because we just really kind of had a lot more in common. You know, we had a common background as people. You know, we had a, we had a lot in common. And uh, we laughed at the same things and we talked about the same kind of things. And even though we were both really different from each other, there was a lot of commonality. But he became really kind of central to my life, um, even outside of the band, because he had been working on a, on a construction crew. Okay. And he got me a job where he worked. And... That job was really important for three reasons. One, I got to work with one of my bandmates who I really cared about and he was a good friend. Two, the money was much better than any other job that I had had previously and it was like, wow, a much needed injection of cash. Okay, especially because now, you know, I was going through cymbals and drumsticks like you wouldn't believe and, uh, just the cost, the operating cost of being a drummer at that point really was starting to increase. So that extra money came in handy. And the third reason why that job was so important to me was because it really kind of transformed me from a marshmallow, you know, into a man. I mean, it really kind of knocked the baby fat off. And, you know, it was extremely physically rigorous work and uh, it was hard work and you know I was going to band practice three nights a week too so on top of working you know 40 to you know sometimes 50 or 60 hour a week of this really hard physical labor I was also drumming three nights a week and that was really really hard to do I mean it was physically exhausting and when the weekends came around you know, my head would hit the pillow and I was out. I had like no energy. But um, the net result was great. You know, I had a lot of money. I had, uh, you know, a good job with a, a friend that I liked a lot. And my band was great. Everything was going great. And I had enough money to keep myself, you know, in new drumsticks. And, you know, if something broke, I had the money to fix it. And I also had the money to buy a pretty nice car. So, um, everything was going really well, and that was because of him. Now, that's not the only thing that I can say about him. Because that bass player, singer, and I, you know, we, we worked together at that job for probably about three or four years. And our relationship was a lot closer, I think, because of that, uh, than it was with me and the guitar player, singer. I mean, it really... Uh, when I look back on it now, I mean, it was really kind of a special circumstance. You know, we had a lot of time to talk. We had a lot of time to, uh, you know, come up with ideas. We had, a, you know, a lot of time to just not only get to know each other, but we could discuss the music. We could discuss the band. I mean, we were both very serious about it. And, uh, and it helped Slow Bob become a very strong unit. And it was also kind of nice, too, because there were these times when um, 
I would need a little bit of understanding or vice versa or whatever. And him and I both would kind of um, accommodate each other that way, you know. And I can say this too, you know, the bass player singer for Slow Bob, who will remain nameless because I don't have permission to say his name and I respect his privacy. I would say that in hindsight, um, he's one of two people that I've jammed with that really had a natural gift for singing. Um, I think he had a world-class voice. Now, when I say that, I don't mean I think he was like an opera singer, okay? But he had a knack for approaching the vocals a certain way and for writing lyrics a certain way. And um, his vocal delivery was very unique and different. And he proved that in Preferable Sect, the band prior to Slow Bob. But just working in the studio with him three nights a week, you know, and uh, watching him write and watching his process and then hearing his delivery, like his final product, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it at least, okay, Um, how talented he was. And he had a natural gift for it, a natural knack for coming up with... uh, interesting lyrics and uh, how to deliver them in a very unique way, a very guttural, uh, very, just a very unique way that set him apart from most other singers. I mean, you can tell it's his voice. And that would be like one of the criteria that I would use to judge the quality of a singer's voice is not just how good it is, but how recognizable it is, and he definitely had a very recognizable and distinct uh, style. I know that his base of influence was pretty deep and pretty diverse, just from working with him every day, and you know, talking about this stuff. I mean, him and I talked and talked and talked and talked. I mean, we were around each other so much for three or four years that it was like, you know, (laughs) he was my social life. I mean, he was it. I would wake up at, you know, six in the morning to go to work and we would work all day. We would, you know, we would go home and, you know, change our clothes and then we would meet up again for band practice. I mean, it was just... An eight-hour day plus, you know, four to five or six hours afterwards. I guess I realize it more now. He wasn't just in my band. It was like he was my boss, you know. We had a job to do. So it was just, uh, it was really great. And, you know, the work that we did was, like I said, really physically hard. So it it was great for me because my strength you know, my physical strength actually started to change because of the nature of the work that I was doing and then also the drumming. So it was just, wow, it was great. It was just one of the, one of the most transformative times of my life, you know. You know what? I could sit here and talk all afternoon about it, but you want to know what? We were really good friends. We were really good friends. That's it. You know, we, we got along really well. And 
you know, I got along with the guitar player singer too, but the nature of the relationship was a little bit different. You know, uh, I kind of feel, I kind of feel that in hindsight. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about him today because I didn't think it was fair to focus so much credit and so much attention on the guitar player singer. And there's a whole other side to the story. There were three of us in that band, you know, and three very different relationships. And, um, you know, it's probably got a lot to do with the chemistry we had. You know, I'm aware of that. Um, it's got the, got a lot to do with the music that we put out and the quality of what we were doing, both in the studio and live. Um, and it had a lot to do with the musician that I was going to become in the future. Okay, so now I'll talk to you a little bit about our CD and uh, how much that changed everything for us as a band. Now, um, right when we first started the band, we had signed a partnership agreement, a legal document stating that we were three owners, three partners in this business. And um, so, you know, right off the bat, we had a very strong sense of uh, responsibility and professionalism about what we were doing. But after we came out of the studio with that CD and through the order, our debut CD, um, wow, did things start to open up for us. And it was, it was pretty cool. Um, we wound up uh, starting our own label called King Sized Records to sell the CD on. And uh, because we had this CD, we were, you know, now, you know, getting into clubs that were good size and uh, a lot of out of state shows, you know, a lot of, a lot of touring. And, um, so we needed to buy a van. We bought a van and we had it all set up. You know, everything was just like a military operation. You know, we had a, we had it down and, uh, we were traveling quite a bit. Um, I would probably even say we were playing more out of town than we were in our own town for a while. And uh, a lot up in the Detroit area, a lot up into Canada. Um, we were heading up that way, and we had met a band that we were playing with called uh, Jimmy Bronco. They were a band from Canada, I think from Windsor, Ontario. And uh, we had signed them to our label, so we were not the only band being sold on king-sized records. It was kind of a really fun time, you know. Uh, traveling with a band is one of the funnest things that you could possibly do. Um, because when you're in a band and you're on the road, you're like in a gang, you know. And you arrive at a city and you don't know anybody. And, you know, hopefully the show you play goes well and you get paid what you promised to get paid and all those things but what's more interesting is what happens after the show and um, 
Slow Bob <laughs> had some really fun times <laughs> at the after party. Okay. Um, and I won't go into too many details there. I'll let you fill it in with your imagination, but we had a really great time on the road as a band. And uh, particularly when um, we were able to bring people along with us, you know, to come to the shows with us. And, uh, you know, not every show we played was great, but we played a lot of really, really good shows. And um, I specifically remember times when I was able to bring my best friend with me at the time, who was my cousin, actually, was a relative. And uh, he was a huge fan of Slow Bob. He thought we were just the greatest band, you know. And uh, so he wanted to come with us, you know, on the on tour. <laughs> if we want to call it a tour. It was probably more like a series of out-of-state shows. That's probably a better way of putting it. Because we didn't have a booking agent and a tour manager or anything like that. We were doing it all ourselves. So, you know, we would string together maybe three or four shows or something, you know. And we would go, go out and do them, and then we would come home. And uh, every once in a while, like I was saying, I would take my cousin along with us. And he was just so funny. And we just had, we just had so much fun. All of us did. Just meeting people and, you know, hanging out with people after the show. I mean, I could tell you a million stories about people we met, especially in Detroit. Uh, it's a city that I've kind of, I've always been fond of. You know, they, they received us well when we showed up. You know, uh, every show we played there was always a lot of fun. The people were really hospitable to us, even even though they didn't know who we were. You know, we were just another band coming through. Um, a lot of hospitality there. A lot. And, uh... Oh, like I said, the stories I could tell, they were so funny. So much, so much laughing and so much <laughs> funny stuff going on and uh, really the time of our lives. And uh, so we did it that way for a while. You know, we, we really did uh, have a good, strong, uh, like I said, military kind of operation. I mean, we we had it down. And, you know, naturally, because we had our own label, we had the CD now, and we were, you know, already established as a pretty good live band, uh, we started to get a lot of press. I remember that. I remember that. Uh, doing a lot of interviews for television and for newspapers and things like that. It was a lot of fun. That way, we got some really great shows, uh, you know, opening for bands like Godflesh. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think we opened up for Season to Risk and we opened up for Cop Shoot Cop and we opened up for Don Caballero. And uh, we even had a Derek Hess poster made. I don't know if you're familiar with the artwork of Derek Hess, but uh, he's a very famous poster artist. And um, I consider it an honor to have had a Derek Hess poster made from one of my bands. I thought that was really cool. I have it framed, actually. Um, 
It was when we opened up for Godflesh, and I still have it, still have it framed. It's a big deal to me. That's probably where I'll leave it off for now, I think. I'll pick it up in the next episode. So, for now, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.